0: This is Over the Top Cycling in Boulder, Colorado, and we have got great guests for you this evening. Mark Thomas and Chris Ragsdale checking in from the finish of Paris-Brest-Paris 2015. Mark, congratulations on a fantastic ride, and Chris, congratulations on being an awesome crew member. Thanks,
1: George. It (laughs) It was amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun on my part as well.
0: So, Mark, I've got to ask, uh, you did Pac-Tour, and what were your goals going into PVP this year?
2: Well, it's kind of a funny story, actually. Before pack tour started, Bob Brudvick said, you know, you need to try for Charlie Miller this year. And I said, this pack tour is going to be the hardest thing I've done. You can talk to me after we cross the Mississippi. We got to we got to the Mississippi, and uh, I had this we had this big day coming up in Alabama, and I changed it. I said, "Bob, you can't talk to me until we get to Camden." <laughs> we, got, we got to Camden. And he says, "Okay, are you in?" I go, "Uh, go away." But uh, yeah, my uh, idea for how I was going to ride Paris-Brest-Paris Paris changed. I had planned to do the eighty-four hour start and sleep for seven or eight hours every night. And uh, I got a little off track.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've got to know, how do you get through the controls? It sounds like the lines there are just insane. But, I mean, for your time, you've got to be able to, to minimize your time off the bike. So how do the controls work? Do they... Do they give that first group a little special treatment, or how does that work? Well, what ends
2: up happening, and, and Chris knows this too, is that uh, the faster riders kind of get ahead of the big wave of other riders. And even at that, they're relatively efficient at checking you in at the control. It's if you have to wait in line for food or
0: other things that can really slow you down in there. Ah, uh, okay.
2: But having Chris and Matt helping us meant that that wasn't something we had to do. So I'd walk in. I was rarely more than the second person waiting to get a card signed.
0: Wow. Now, Chris, uh, crewing PBP just sounds like a logistical nightmare to me. I mean, finding your way around your off course, uh, how does that work? And did riding PBP uh, help you be be a better crew member? Yeah. Uh, I
1: think... uh, to help. I was familiar with the layout of most of the controls and that stuff. My main fear was getting to the to the area, getting to those towns and what that would be like, driving on French roads I'd, I'd never driven on before. So um, it was, uh, it, luckily it was a lot easier than I had thought. Uh, Mark had set up basically the driving route on an iPad, so we were following that. The vehicle had a GPS unit, so we were plugging in the address of the controls in there. So we sort of had you know, a couple of different systems we could use to get us into town, and then once we got to the towns, it was always relatively easy to, to find the control to, via the signs or the other crews and stuff like that. So it was, uh, logistically, it wasn't that hard to, to get to where we needed to go. It was, it, it was more challenging just to stay awake and to continue to uh, <laughs> to, to do it after that many hours. So.
0: Now, Mark, how did you change your program? Uh, You said it did change while you were on Elite. How much did you sleep? On this ride? Yes. I closed my eyes for one hour. Um, Wow. I might have
2: slept for 30 minutes out of that. Very different.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is impressive. Any hallucinations? Yeah, interestingly enough, I
2: wasn't real sleepy on the ride. I had—I was taking some caffeine as I went along. I was using a caffeinated uh, flavor of Perpetuum, and I, I never got—I never got too sleepy. I was—I uh, think I was too engaged in it to really get to the sleepy point.
0: Yeah, was it actually fun?
2: I have to admit, it was kind of a blast, and and. The reason that's interesting is a lot of people told me, well, the one thing about trying to do this real fast is it's more work than fun. I'm not sure I had that experience. I think it was fun and work.
0: Now, Chris, what do you feel you brought to your crew experience as a racer?
1: Um, it was valuable to sort of see what the what the controls were like and to, to know that efficiency in and out of those controls was important so you know we were we were always prepared for mark and well not always it was a couple of controls we were we were off by a couple of minutes but we were uh yeah I mean it was all about getting him in and out of there as efficiently as possible trying to anticipate some of his needs that may not have been communicated already whether it be you know cold weather clothing or additional food support or something like that but you know, really, it's just trying to, to shave as many minutes off of their time at those controls as we can, and, and uh, yeah, to to get them out of there.
0: Mark, were you able to communicate with Chris at all while you were riding?
2: Uh, once in a while, I take my life in my my own hands and pick up my phone and either call him or send him a text. <laughs> um, but mostly, I think they just pretty much knew what was going to be needed and they were there for it.
0: Now, when you started riding, did you get uh, become part of a group? Um, were you pacelining a lot? Were you on your own? How did that work? So
2: I'd say for about, for the first 100K, we were in a fast group in the second wave, um, not the front end of the wave. There was actually a group of folks in the front that were trying to bridge up to the A group so that they could be 15 minutes ahead of the same pack they were riding with. But we had a good, strong group, and then, uh, and then the third wave, the front of the third wave came past us in the wrong lane. Car came up. They all moved over, and at that point, uh, Bob got kicked out, and so uh, we were able to get him back going uh, with a wobbly wheel and patched him up a little bit. And then for a while we chased. Uh, He decided to drop back later, and I probably rode with. Packs of varying sizes for about 300K. And then uh, for most of the rest of it, I'd say for 90% of the rest of it, I was riding by myself.
0: Arrow bars?
2: No arrow bars allowed on PVP.
0: Okay. Now, riding alone, uh, I know that course has to be packed. Um, were there other riders that you were passing or just not that you were really engaged in pacelining or drafting with?
2: Well, actually, it was kind of interesting, and I hadn't experienced this part of PVP before. I'm usually in the the main wave of the the 90-hour folks, and there there are people all over the road. I'd say for the last 500K, it wasn't uncommon to ride for an hour or so without actually seeing anybody overtaking me or that I was overtaking or even stopped by the side of the road, especially once we cleared all the riders that were
0: still outbound. Yeah, I was shocked by that too. I mean, where Mark was
1: in the event, had him spending most of the time by himself. Or, you know, we would get to the controls early, and we it, we would see the same riders coming in, and then you know Mark would come in, and then they would all leave, and and it was like they each sort of found where they belonged pace wise, and uh, there was there wasn't a whole big mass of people by any means. It was uh, the same few people that we would see at each of the controls.
0: Now, I was not familiar with Charlie Miller. Uh, And I'm sure there are some people listening who possibly aren't either. Could you explain what that is and why that's so important? There are not many people uh, or Americans that have attained that uh, status.
2: So PBP started in 1891 as a race. And an American named Charlie Miller participated in it in 1901 finished on the roads and bicycles of the time in a creditable 56 hours and 40 minutes. And uh, then uh, PVP turned from a race into a random urban, and no American went back until 1975. So since then, we kind of kept track as a fun thing on the Rusa website of all the American riders who achieved that time or less.
0: And it's... Amazing to me, you think 1901, there were no derailers back then. That's a single speed bike, unless you're uh, going to the back and changing out the cog. <laughs> right, I think
2: the one thing, they did have pneumatic tires by then, because the pneumatic tire guys were busy
0: supporting the riders. So when he did it, it was a race? It was a race, an all out race. And I can, it, uh, it kind of lost favor in the, I think,
2: in about the 30s because it was really just too difficult an event for pro riders to really want to do.
0: Which is funny because you look at the uh, Tour de France back in the <laughs> early 1900s and they had stages that were three and four hundred K long.
2: Well, this was all one stage, yeah, 750 K, so.
0: So, going into this, was that, uh, obviously, that was one of your goals, and we say PVP is not a race, but, you know, I'm thinking of Marco Balo up there in the front. People want to win PVP, and they say win PVP. It, it is the race in the minds of some, is it not?
2: It certainly is, and Chris has more experience than that with that than I do because he was in the midst of that at the last one. Yeah, there's some intense tactics, the whole bit. A- absolutely, George. I mean, I-, I experienced it for
1: myself last time, and sort of got to see it and watch it from the other side this time. But yeah, I mean, it, for us, you know, I would say a hundred people or so. PBP is definitely a race. It's. Uh, you know, it's a very competitive race, and there's guys looking for advantages and with the crews and and trying to be tactical with you know starting from the B group or the C group and trying to bridge up and yeah, it's um there's there's definitely guys trying to, to get the fastest time. I mean, I think you know people of this ability level trying to do something like this pretty commonly have some uh, some ambitious goals and and, and want to see what they're capable of. And yeah, it's. Uh, It's pretty fun to watch and and need to be a part of.
0: Now, Mark, how were you able to uh, mentally keep yourself in the moment while you were out there alone?
2: You know, I, I, George, I'm not sure I realized it before I actually got on the bike and started pedaling. But I realized I really wanted to make that time a Charlie Miller time. And so I would just think, time to push harder. It was, it was not that much of a challenge, interestingly enough, to, to stay focused. That I expected to be the biggest challenge, especially when, I, when Bob and I got split up and didn't have somebody to kind of cross-motivate with. But uh, I, don't, I just don't think that turned out to be an issue. Then for the last stage, Chris decided that I needed to try to get under 55 hours, so he just gave me this little pep talk in the last control. And every time I'd slack off a little in the last 80K, I'd hear his voice in my ear <laughs> and get
0: on it again. And you did beat, you had a 54, what was your final time?
2: 5450.
0: That is just incredible. I mean, you've got to be on Cloud9 right now.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty psyched. I took 30 hours off my previous personal best
0: for PvP wow it was incredible to watch too george and
1: just see mark's consistency and sort of like uh dedication to it in in comparing it to my own rides and and experience it was uh it it was awesome to watch i mean i i tend to uh sort of freelance and and as i go and and try to decide what i want to eat i'm always changing it and this and that and it was it was cool to see mark both you know, statistically, through the numbers and everything, he had a very direct plan, and through the feeding, he had a very direct plan, and really stuck to the plan. I think it was a big part of his success, and it was, you know, he, he really just stuck to the plan. Even when things weren't going awesome and the belly wasn't feeling great, he continued to, to eat the things that he planned to eat, and, and it, it, it just really made a difference, I think, in, in the consistency of his time throughout the entire event.
0: Yeah, now you said you had a, a caffeinated uh, perpetuum, were you pretty much staying on a liquid diet? Uh,
2: no, I would have I would have a bottle of that between controls it's on my bike as sort of a consistent base. But other than that, I'd eat uh, you know energy bars and the sort and uh, whatever food they might find for me at the controls. Just trying to maintain a target consumption of about 300 calories an hour.
0: Now, do you think this is going to change the way you take on other 1200 Ks in your future?
2: I'm not sure, George. This might be a one and done for me. Um, the one thing that was missing from this event compared to other ones is that during the ride itself, it wasn't nearly as social as what I'm used to, um, which was good. I was in kind of a zone where that wasn't, that wasn't an issue for me, um, but I think I kind of wanted it for PVP I don't know that that's necessarily something I'll do in the future
1: George
2: yeah. I wanted it so badly I hired a coach you did yeah Well, the last 8 weeks Michelle Granger from uh, Out Your Way uh, had me going through a, a pretty specific training and tapering uh, program that had me riding way less than I would have on my own and I think it did me a world to
0: and that she's out there with uh, her husband, Steve Legoff and uh, she actually wrote a number of brevets with uh, Terry this year, my wife. Right. And uh, I think she coached Bryce Walsh f- for PVP, so uh, fantastic job. So do you feel like the shorter miles she really worked on your speed?
2: Yep, she worked on, I'd say primarily she worked on speed and rest, and a little bit on strategy, too.
0: Now, just to get off topic here a little bit, uh, speaking of training, I know you guys really use brevets like Mick Walsh and Adam Morley and all of those guys do a lot of brevets as high-speed, long-distance training. Um, The Seattle Rondeneurs, you guys have a really strong club. What is it that's made Rondonoring such a... Uh, a really powerful part of the cycling segment in the Northwest.
2: It's always been a little bit of a mystery to me, but it certainly took hold for a long time. We were one of the largest clubs in the country. Um, it just seems to have drawn a lot of interest. I think there are fewer other long-distance opportunities here than there are in, other in, in the Northwest and there are in other areas. There aren't um, a huge calendar of double centuries like they have in California. Uh, so we have Brevets and we have, you know, race across Oregon and Cascade Ultra, but they're not a huge there's not a huge calendar other than what we have to offer. And uh, the Randoners make it very welcoming to be riding hard in the front if that's what you want to do or ride at the minimum speed if that's what you want to do.
0: And Cascade twelve hundred that is a pretty popular ride now, correct?
2: It's a popular ride in the yeah. sense that it has sixty-five people.
0: I thought it was much larger than that. No.
2: No. That's
0: it. I'm stunned. Wow! In fact, so much in that fact, I... there, are
2: very, there are very few twelve hundred k and longer brevets in the world um, that get uh, even a hundred participants.
0: Ah, so the participation, obviously, up last year because of PVP the following year.
2: I think so. A lot of people will do a 1200 somewhere else to get ready, get their, you know, everything dialed in for PVP.
0: What do you think's kind of the the best advice you could give someone who's new to this, uh, trying a 1200K for the first time? What do they need to get in their heads that, yeah, I can actually make this distance?
2: Well, it's interesting because the way the sport works, typically to ride a 1,200, you're expected to qualify by riding a 200, 300, a 400, and a 600 distance per bays. And you kind of learn a surprising amount just as you step from one to the other, and then you add things like, oh, i got to figure out how to eat when I don't want to, or I have to figure out lights that'll work at night, and so I think just training up to the distance is probably
0: as much help as, as anything else. Chris, how about you? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I agree. And, and a lot of that would have to do with you know what the new riders' goals are. But um, you, you do. I, I think being a part of a club that, that is doing that over base series like that allows the, the opportunity to meet riders that are in the same capability set and are dealing with the same types of issues that you might in in those types of time frames. And it's, uh, I I think the camaraderie and and communicating with like riders is is the biggest thing I would urge a a new rider to do. Find people that are doing the same types of times you want to do and and learn what what they're doing.
0: And just a moment to really talk about Rusa. You guys really offer your members... Uh, a lot of ways to earn awards and recognition. I, I think Russa does a great job of that. Uh, it, there seems to be a lot of camaraderie among the, the Rondonors. Is that true?
2: I think that really is true. I mean, at least I like to think so. Um, there is also the uh, the desire among Rondonors for whatever reason to ride for trinkets. So the awards are quite popular. Things like riding a certain distance every month throughout the year or riding a certain total distance in the year there are a number of different awards that you collect in different ways riding in different states so it kind of has a way to keep something that might maybe get a little bit the same a little more interesting because you can vary your goals um, as you go along
0: so what are your goals now uh that you had planned before you got to pvp because i totally want to let you just enjoy your finish. <laughs> uh, any other rides coming up this year? You've had a, a very busy year to this point.
2: My wife and I are going to go to Iceland and hike. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> Chris, are you going to be uh, riding Seattle to the top of Rainier again?
1: You know, I, that, that's not in the current plan. Maybe, maybe we'll give it a shot next year again. This you know, I, I think I've actually got nothing on the schedule at this point. Um, just enjoying time with the family this year. My wife and I had our 10-year anniversary, and uh, yeah, just, just taking on some other stuff. Getting out here and crewing on this, and uh, I, I've been having a blast this year. It just hasn't involved that many big events for me.
0: Well, I know it's uh, morning out there. You probably want to get some rest. You also probably want to get over to the velodrome and... Uh, cheer some people in. I really can't thank you enough for taking the time out to chat with me a little bit here.
2: Great chat with you, George.
0: It's
1: always great to talk to George. Thanks.
0: Congratulations to you, Mark. Just a fantastic ride. I, I just that, that that was so fun watching you do that and do so well. So my hat is off to you. Just unbelievable performance, Mark Thomas. And thanks, thanks again. Chris Ragsdale joining us from Paris, France, over the top radio in Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas.